we already know and kind of uh, consolidates this, uh, emphasizes some points. So a lot of this kind of, it just brings things together. Uh, so so I'm going to read chapter 10, verses 9 to 22. Then I looked, and behold, four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the gleam of a tarshish stone. As for their appearance, all four of them had the same likeness, as if one wheel were within another wheel. When they moved, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, but they followed in the direction in which they faced without turning as they went. Their whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels belonging to all four of them. The wheels were called, in my hearing, the whirling wheels, and each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, the second face was the face of a man, the third face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Chebar. Now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. Also, when the cherubim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise with them, for the spirit of the living beings was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. These are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kibar. So I knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces and each one four wings. And beneath their wings was the form of human hands. As for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the river Kibar. Each one went straight ahead. Okay, so the basic idea of this kind of brings together what we've already seen in what Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. So the way I see it is you have the cherubim that are sort of the um, transportation mode of the throne of God. So he's above the cherubim, they're carrying him. You've got the wheels underneath the cherubim, so they, they ride along on the wheels. Now remember you've got the four faces of the cherubim, so they don't have to pivot to turn. They're going straight ahead any direction they go. You've got the wheel within a wheel, so it doesn't have to swivel to turn. It can go in any direction at any moment. So you've got this incredible portability of the throne of God. And so basically here, you see this whole apparatus prepared and, and set up to take the glory of God away. They, it's kind of, kind of like, uh, you know, a cargo, uh, carrier. They're carrying God's presence away. So you see the cherubim lift off and taxi out to the east gate of the temple in verse 19. So he's gone from being there in the Holy of Holies to the threshold of the temple. And now the, this, uh, chariot, a cherubim chariot has taken him out to the east gate of the temple where he's preparing to move away from the temple itself and even from Jerusalem. So that's what you're seeing. This is this is really a kind of a, a, a slow motion account. So I think he's really trying to draw our attention to 
the significance of the Lord's glorious presence is leaving his people, is leaving the temple. That is a significant event. You know, that, that was something you might be able to read over quickly and kind of miss the importance of it. You can't do that because he keeps, you know, drawing our attention to it here in, in this chapter. There's one other thing I wanted to draw your attention to, and that's verse 14. We had the four faces of the cherub. Uh, but the first was the face of a cherub, then a man, a lion, and an eagle. Now, that isn't the four faces we saw in chapter 1, right? It was an ox or a bull. Where here he has cherub. So I am assuming that the cherub was in the form of an ox or a bull. And so you can call it the face of a bull, or the face of a cherub, since the cherub was a, a bull-shaped creature. That's what I'm assuming. All right, thoughts and comments here on chapter 10. That's what I have to say about that. Jaden. Uh, there's a cherub throughout the Old Testament. We do. Uh, they guard the garden of and they're there in the tapestry of the Temple, temple, yes, I do agree with that. That I think the cherubim guard the presence of God. I think that's what they were doing at the Garden of Eden. They were guarding the presence of God in the garden. I think they guard the presence of God over the mercy seat. And I think that is kind of the concept. And so these are perhaps guard bulls. Yes. And this looks really cool that then in Revelation 4, the equivalent is like, here they're done carrying out of the Lord. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think you do have those living creatures in Revelation are very similar beings. Uh, and so I would, I would assume that we're dealing with cherubim and those living creatures in Revelation 4 and 5. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. We won't get to that, though. <laughs> Chapter 40 to 43, especially in 43, yes. You do see the glory of God coming back into the temple that Ezekiel has shown a vision of. And so the, the whole book kind of comes full circle. And God leaves, but then God comes back. And in fact, glad you asked that question, the end of the book of Ezekiel ends with this city of God and the last words of the, the, the book, the Lord is there. So this is all about the Lord leaving and the Lord returning. And of course, the presence or absence of the Lord is the key thing in everything. That's it. So, would you say that if you start to study Ezekiel and don't finish it, then you don't want the Lord to come? Yeah, something like that, yes. <laughs> And if you want to stay till, um, you know, 5 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning, we'll see what we can do. No, not really. But, uh, yeah, I'm assuming you will finish the study, even if I don't guide you in it. So, yes, right. I mean, I, I don't know anything more than just he's really trying to focus on this picture again. I mean, remember the Jewish mindset that 
God was just sort of roped into the temple and he'd never leave. And Jerusalem could never be destroyed because it was God's city. I think it was hard for a Jew to believe God was actually leaving the temple. So I think it, it demands some extra emphasis. That, that's my explanation. Who knows? Joe. Yeah, so I think that's exactly right. I think when he said your house has been left to you desolate in Matthew twenty three thirty eight, <laughs> there's not the glory of God in the temple in Jerusalem because they have abandoned the Lord, and so God is is not dwelling with them. I think that's the point. That and 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 if if that's true. What's to stop the Babylonians from destroying the temple and the city if it's really nothing more than a hollow shell with no divine presence in it? <laughs> yes. And I know we pointed this out just over and over again, this being in Israel's history, but even when the Israelites went up against the Philistines in 1 Samuel 4, and they take the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, and it doesn't work. You know, they're not able to win. And they're thinking, well, why, you know, the glory of the Lord is in here. Why is it just working? Well, they had driven it out. They had driven God away. And I think that's so imperative for us to see when we see the New Testament. We are driving God away from ourselves, us, the temple, when we have idols in our hearts. It's driving God away. Yeah, that is a good point. That's exactly right. Our, our conduct can basically force the Lord away from us. Steve? Yeah, so we need to really maybe take more seriously the concept of God dwelling with his people, him dwelling with us, treasure that, value that, see how the Lord is not, you know, bound to have to stay with us. If we abandon him, he can leave, and that's the tragedy. I mean, you think about what is the great thing about heaven? It's being with the Lord. What's the worst thing about eternal torment? They are uh, banished from the presence of the Lord in Second Thessalonians 1. I mean, being with or not with the Lord is the most important thing that we could talk about. Very good. All right. All right, let's press on into chapter 11 then. Uh, really uh, interesting uh, situation. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 13.